HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. I'm Laura Stanley, host of Inside School Food. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio. This is a special Boston show. We're an aeronaut brewing company in Somerville, Massachusetts. You can hear some things going on. They're making beer. They're, they're, they're making chocolate. It's a pretty interesting collective here. And uh, thanks to Andy Crouch from uh, At Beer Scribe who br- brought us into this today. I'm up in uh, Massachusetts for the holidays. and We'll be airing this sometime in the winter of 2016. Our special guest, Andy Crouch. From Beer Scrap, how are you, Andy? Doing well, Jimmy. Thanks for having us today. Thanks for coming. And, and uh, Suzanne Shallow? Shallow, Shallow, either works. Uh, thank you so much. Nice to be here. And from Craft Beer Cellar. From Craft Beer Cellar. So you're, it's, a, it's a special beer store that's kind of creating a new category in the Yeah, beer it's sales, interesting. Right? I mean, people call it boutique beer shop, and I want to poke their eyes out, right? Mm-hmm. But I guess that's what it is. Uh, so uh, it's a. Uh, 100% all beer store. We sell some cider, a little bit of mead. A couple of the stores do have a full liquor license. We do a small selection of craft spirits. Uh, but all in all, uh, beer is beer is why we're here, uh, and that's what we do. And it's that's it's great. not not you know not the big breweries either. We're we're trying to focus on small, uh, independently owned uh, people that are working for a living. You know what I mean? Not pushing buttons. For sure. And, and we know what you're doing, and we're here to learn more about the Boston beer scene. And we got Will Gordon, uh, the beer writer. So at Will Gordon again, yep. and you're right for what, Deadspin and some other magazines? For Deadspin, a place called, a relatively newish site called Vine Pair, which is mostly wine-focused, but they need a beer dummy, so I'm their beer dummy. And uh, the, I just started writing for the Metro, the free subway newspaper. Yeah. All right, and also we got someone, we're at Aeronaut Brewing Company. What's yeah. your name, sir? My name's Dan Rossi, one of the owners, founders at Aeronaut here. All right, so let's start talking. So, so um, Andy, uh, we're here in Boston. It's, it's your town, and I'm happy to be your guest. So why did you pick Aeronaut Brewing? And tell us a little about 
this place and other places that you like in Boston? Sure. I ended up picking Aeronaut for the best reason I could think of, which is it's about the closest brewery to my house. So that uh, that made it a pretty easy selection. And we're here on a particularly ugly day and uh, the first wintry day in Boston. So it seemed to seemed to make some sense. Mm-hmm. But also, Aeronaut, the folks here have been open, what, about a year and a half? A year or, and a half, exactly. And they've been doing... Um, it sort of just came in somewhat quietly, and you know, it's not easy to open brewery or a brew pub in the Boston area for a variety of reasons, number one of which we don't have a lot of vacant space, and it's expensive as hell to do that. So, you know, this space had been looked at by a couple of breweries, and Aeronaut decided to finally pull the cord on it and go for it, and they've done a very good job, and they're great with the community is the really interesting thing. They're very good at outreach. They do a lot of live music, you know, game nights. They have, you can come in here and play, you know, Super Mario Bros brothers on the on a big you know on a big projection tv on the wall um so they do a really good job at at uh at keeping keeping the the local folks and it's, it's hardly a it's not really even a beer geek audience it's sort of a younger set it's a local set somerville people the city that we're in um and it's it's filling a i think a need that this city has that doesn't really it hasn't really been met as compared to a lot of cities around the country if you go to Tulsa or you know you know Tuscaloosa or Tampa or any other city in this country of over 5000 people you'll have a handful of breweries Boston area it's not that easy and we we have not had a lot of places open and i think before aeronaut um, the last brew pub to the extent you can call this a brew pub that opened was uh, I think 13 years beforehand and that was uh, North Beer Works which is a chain here near North Station and we just don't have a lot of a uh, we don't have a lot of places uh, that really open up, and so this has been a this has been kind of great to have have somebody be able to do that locally, and, and they're making some very nice beer as well. Yeah, it's a nice beer. What is this? Coco Sutra. It's pretty good. Oh, Dan will well. tell us about it. So you guys, so um, uh, Suzanne and, and Will, tell us some other places that people should check out in Boston to really get a sense of the real craft beer scene. And you know that's what we're looking for is, is your is your favorites. Yeah, go ahead. Well, this is the second closest brewery to my house, which makes it the second best brewery in the planet. The closest one is um, Cambridge Brewing Company. It's been around for 25 years now or so uh, in Kendall Square by MIT. And they've started to distribute more with uh, like some of their core offerings, which are all good. But I love going in there and getting uh, the weird stuff, the stuff from, like, the, from the barrel cellar. And, uh, so I'm a big fan of Cambridge Brewing Company. Additionally, uh, a big fan of Mystic Brewery. This is also the closest brewery to my house, so thank you, Andy, for mm-hmm. choosing, uh, <laughs> choosing that. Um, it would have been a drag to drive over to Chelsea today. Yeah, I figured this, this, I figured this made sense on a day yeah. like today. <laughs> uh, but Mystic's doing some great stuff. Uh, a husband and wife team at the top of that, uh, fermentation scientists over at MIT, so they definitely knew yeast and yeast strains. Uh, actually have their own house yeast strain, which is pretty rare to see a brewery open with. Uh, that kind of chemistry. Uh, big fan of their table beer. Uh, knocking it out of the park with their with their saison offerings. Uh, sweet little space over in Chelsea. I mean, they're bringing Chelsea up to up to speed, I guess. Uh, from a community uh, hanging out at a brewery standpoint, it wasn't wasn't really anything over there. A very working class neighborhood. So we'll see what happens over there. Suzanne, you're you're at the top of your game. I mean, you you've, you've been in the thank mass, you Master Cicerone program trying to get that. You, you've you've got your franchising your beer store. How did you get started? And, and, and would what you're doing in Boston work somewhere else? Is Boston that it's a uniqueness or something? Well, it will, and it is. Uh, we're in 11 states, um, which is kind of crazy because 
our home base is Boston, and we're strong in the Boston area. We have eight stores open, I think, uh, today. <laughs> Time passes, you know, you kind of, uh, eight, nine, nine. Might be eight. Might be eight. <laughs> Uh, I think it's eight in the Boston area. We've got three or four in planning. Uh, by, say, June of 2016, we'll be even stronger. Uh, planning in Fort Point, for example, planning in the Fenway area, up on the North Shore in the Swampskid area. Um, and we're in places like Florida, right outside of Tampa. We're in Bozeman, Montana, which is one of my favorite places. Uh, never been there before uh, until I got on the ground to help get the store open, and I was like, holy shit, this is beautiful country, and... Uh, they know their beer there. I mean, it's kind of very sort of interstate. Uh, it's very much like Vermont. It reminded me of uh, they, they don't want to drink anyone else's beer. They just want to drink their own beer, and they're kind of keeping it all a big secret over there. Uh, but, yeah, we're in California. We just opened a week before Thanksgiving out there. So, you know, what's the goal? To get in, I mean, when we first started, we said if we can open a beer store in 50 states in the U.S., we'll have contributed to this thing. We'll have made a difference. We'll have made a difference for people like Dan and Aeronaut Brewing Company where, you know, they're, they're busting their butts and, you know, they're spinning their wheels because they can't shout loud enough and they don't have the money to buy the marketing to do that. So, and you know, what are we doing that's different? We're, you know, we're feet on the street, man. I mean, we're spent, you know, customer comes in and wants to spend 30 minutes talking about black IPAs. That's what we're going to do. We're going to walk them around the store and... Show them every black IPA from the Netherlands, you know, to Somerville. Uh, local stuff, of course. That's a strong. What? How did you get started in it? I know you're working. I mean, you're working at a geeks, restaurant. Man. I mean, aren't we all? Are we all beer geeks here? I think so. I mean, we all love beer. We have that that thing in common. Came from the restaurant business. Uh, founding uh, co-partner uh, is a chef. Culinary backside of the restaurant business and. I mean, I think we just fell in love with beer, honestly. I mean, you know, we started doing beer dinners. We got super interested. There were 24 beers on tap at the place we were. And anybody that uh, knows, uh, knows that's Cambridge Common, Elizabeth Lounge. We were there. I was there almost a decade. She was there about nine years. Um, and we just kind of got bit, I think, a little bit before the curve. Uh, got super interested and started researching and reading and drinking and we're Blown away. Yeah, yeah, we're like blown away. Yeah, we're blown away. What was going on? You know, we, we yeah. couldn't believe how good some of the liquid was, and and I think we just day in and day in, we just got deeper and deeper and deeper until, you know, we said we're going to go for it. I mean, we shopped for beer too, and uh, you know, we had moments where we were, we knew that it could be done better. We we knew that there there, there could be a way. To protect and take care of the, the beer as a primary product, and that you know freshness could be put forth first, and education could be up there, and all that kind of rolled into taking really good care of people. We knew that it was something, you know. And we, on some level, we were throwing all of the cautions to the wind. You know, did we did we know there were enough beer geeks out there? Not sure. Uh, we're kind of guessing. We're kind of hoping that we'd be able to dig them out from under rocks. But conceptually speaking. Uh, we knew at least from the onset that it was a great idea uh, if we could dig the beer geeks out. So. That's great. Andy, how did you get started in beer? And you're a beer writer. To me, you're, you're famous. You write for Beer Advocate. You've got some books out. But there's a lot of people that don't know who you are. Yeah, it's, that's, it's very kind of you to say, but I feel like you know, B 
being famous perhaps in the beer writing world is not <laughs> is not really much in the way of fame these days. But uh, um, but I got started, you know, just like Suzanne said, you, you get sort of bit by something, and everyone's got their beer moment, that beer story. For me, I was studying in London uh, just one summer during college, and you know, I was just a I was just a basic beer drinker at that point, and I was drinking maybe High Life. Grew up with MGD. I'm a, from Chicago originally, so those Midwestern beers are the ones we really drank. Um, and you know, when I was there, I went down to the pub and had my first Guinness, and it was the first time I'd had anything that looked like that or tasted like that. It was just so radically outside of my my experience, and so the next that weekend. Uh, as you sort of do in college, you know, when you're traveling abroad, I, you know, I'd gotten a plane and I flew to Dublin and I went on my first brewery tour, Guinness, uh, and that just sort of snowballed. When I got back to, went to college in Iowa, and when I went back, you know, to Des Moines, uh, a local brew pub opened up, and I'd never heard of a brew pub, and they came by the college and handed out all these sort of wooden nickels that if you just brought them in, you'd get a free beer, which, you know, any college student's going to go and go and turn those in. So we went down to the local brew pub, which is the Court Avenue Brewing Company. I think it's still there, going on, you know, you know, quite a, quite, you know, 20 plus years at this point. And they had, a, they had another stout, a beer called Blackhawk Stout, that tasted different from Guinness, and I didn't understand that. How, you know, these are, it's the same color. It's, you know, all the beers I'd had to Today were the same color, tasted the same. Why are these two dark beers tasting so different? Um, and I, I was intrigued by it, and so I started buying all of the imports I could get. And it was it was a lot of harp, it was a lot of Guinness and Bass and things along those lines because craft beer at that point there was you know there's a few hundred breweries, there's maybe five or seven hundred breweries at that point in the in the middle to late 90s. And then you know we sort of had a shakeout at that point, and you know, things kind of sure, changed yeah. a little bit. But for me, my you know I am sort of one of the sort of least interesting individuals in terms of educational background because I actually do exactly what I was trained to do. My undergraduate degree is in magazine writing, and I do magazine writing, and I have a postgraduate degree. I'm an attorney as well, so I do both of those things. And in terms of the beer writing, I started writing when I moved to Massachusetts in, in, in 2000. And uh, my first article was on the uh, Tel Aviv Brewing Company, which I thought was an easy one to pitch. <laughs> so because no one's talking about nope, Boston Nobody was right talking now. about craft beer in Israel. So I'd gone to Israel uh, just uh, just uh, on a lark to travel in my last semester of law school. Came back, sold that to Tom Daldorf at uh, Celebrator Magazine in California. And once you get your foot in the door as a freelancer, it's just a lot easier to say you're a published beer writer and sort of moved on from there and then... I encouraged uh, Jason. You know, when I moved to Boston, I, be, you know, I was good friends with Jason and Todd Alstrom. Known them for you know, the guys who founded Beer Advocate. Known them for a long time. And you think that th- they and Beer Advocate were they the tipping point for craft beer scene in Boston? I, they had a, they were huge contributors, no no doubt. I think obviously Jim Cook and the Boston Beer Company had a had a lot to do with it. I think there's a lot of great local brewers from Todd Mott, who's now a tributary, but you know brewed at Back Bay Brewing Company and a lot of great old places. Um, to you know Will Myers across the river at, at uh, Cambridge Brewing Company. These are sort of craft beer legends, and they had a lot to do with the development. But Jason Todd certainly, from the media perspective and from a, the early internet perspective sort of changed the game. I mean, the internet has completely changed craft beer in, in probably maybe the great, single greatest influencer, I think, on craft beer. Um, and it's for better and for better and for worse. I mean, there's, there, there are good parts to it and bad parts. But, you know, they started with Brew Guide 20-plus years ago, brewguide.com, and that eventually morphed into beeradvocate.com. And, you know, then they're in the magazine and the festivals, and, you know, I, I encouraged them to start the magazine. Originally, when I told Todd Alstrom that when we were in, 
the basement of Cambridge or in, uh, at uh, John Harvard's in Harvard Square. Uh, he said, "Print is dead. It's a ridiculous idea." And then a couple of years, they came around on it. And now I think we publish a we publish the only monthly magazine on beer that I know of um, dedicated to it. Though I think there's some new stuff coming out. And I think they do they do a hell of a job with it. Ben Keen, the editor, does a great job. Taylor, uh, the designer. These are people who I think they have a lot of solid, really great writers. So I've been fortunate to be you know columnist for them for a long time. So they just allow me to get in print and just basically just complain about everything. That's that's basically what I do. So that is a big it's true, part man. Of, it's, true. it's just what I do. That's it's a true. big part of yeah. Boston Beer yeah. is, is that beer advocates here. Mm. Yeah, sure. You got those fests. And what about you, Will? I've worked in uh, food and wine magazines for a number of years, but I don't know anything about food or wine. It's just, you know, everybody needs a job, so that's what happened to me. And uh, then my buddy uh, got a job at Serious Eats. Kenji wrote the big cookbook this year. And he's like, hey, man, you want to write a beer column for, I think it was liquor at the point, you want to write an alcohol column for Serious Eats? I'm like, well, I don't really know anything about it. He's like, you could fake it. Oh, well, I suppose I could. You know, so I started doing that for a while, and then I got fired from that because I got fired from everything. But then I ended up at Deadspin, <laughs> and it's almost impossible to get fired. Yeah, from can you a, get can you get fired nah, from Deadspin? No, only for being nice. Okay, so okay. I've but never I haven't crossed that line. Then you'll be fine. So right, so you can do anything you want when you work for Gawker Media. So I've been able to take advantage of that, and then a few other opportunities have opened up based on that. And uh, so I write for more pleasant places. So I do have to switch sometimes between my true evil nature and to be pleasant for normal people but so that's my story and I just try to learn as much as I can along the way so I make fewer mistakes next year than I did this year you know don't always know what I'm talking about Jimmy. this is like the, cra- <laughs> the crazy mad world of I don't always know what I'm talking about <laughs> that's what they're telling me Dan yeah. I like your beer a lot the Aeronauts here we'll take a short break we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio And this one's called Better Forget by Zuli. This is Beer Sessions. El Knife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hey, 
Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's our special show in Boston. It's winter 2016. So what are you guys talking about? There's a lot of things going on in Boston that are, that are different than New York City. And uh, keep going, man. You're talking about... Yeah, there, I mean, there's a few, bunch of things. I think we just... Uh, so we turn off the mic and everybody starts talking. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think one of the cheers. differences... Cheers. I think one of the big differences between cheers. New York and, say, Boston, um, for a variety of reasons, is... Actually, and this is a totally different direction for what we're talking about, is, is pricing, actually. You want to talk about an important topic. Uh, you know, Boston has long been a very expensive town to, to eat and drink in and to live in, frankly. And it's just getting, it's getting crazier and crazier. But you still go to places like New York, even you know, Manhattan, or if you're in Brooklyn, where I spend a lot of time, you can find some pretty reasonably priced beer there, and it's not just at uh, you know at, at you know sort of older divier places. There you know there's a lot of competition still there, and they still have. You guys have happy hour, right? A lot of places have happy hour. Yeah, so they so yeah. they have that like downward price push, which we don't have here because we've got the old Victorian blue laws. Um, so we you know pricing here, we are seeing with some frequency a lot of bars in this area that are charging. You know, not to be the beer mathematician here, but they charge in a dollar an ounce or more. We go to a lot of places, you know, that I don't know that we need to get in to name them because they know who they are. But they're charging, you know, you get a beer that'll be fifteen bucks for nine ounces, yeah. and, that, and that's yeah, well, there's there's names you can you can name names, but it's there's there's a half dozen bars in this city that routine that are considered the best bars in this city that charge a fair price, and that you talk to those owners, you know, from a consumer perspective, you look at it and you say. That's crazy. Like this is this is insane. This is a really interesting beer, but there's so much other great beer that is almost half the price in some instances. But our base price for a pint in a lot of places is eight bucks, and that's and that's and that's kind of crazy. Whereas you go to some place like Brooklyn or San Francisco and other places, and they have still more price competition. Now, to be fair, you talk to those you talk to those bar owners, and they will talk to you about a lot of costs that they have. It's not a cheap town to be in. It's not a cheap town to, to do business in. And and Suzanne could talk to that ten times you know more strongly than. I can, but it's you know price is a huge deal here that I don't think we see in a lot of other cities. Let alone if you end up in a place like Nashville or or North Carolina or something like that, or in Texas, you can go and drink Allagash White, you know, a beer that's brewed in our backyard here, sometimes for half the price of what we pay. And I, someone still has never been able to really explain how the how the math works on on you travel two thousand extra miles and the beer drops in half in price or a third in price. But it's it's an expensive you, you city. Guys, to drink tell on. me where you guys go to drink. You're in Somerville. You're in Cambridge. You're in Boston, Belmont. Where, where do you guys go to drink in Boston area? Uh, Branch Line. Yeah, Where's no, it? I can't drink in my own place, man. <laughs> I mean, you know what happens behind the curtains. <laughs> uh, tell anybody that, but I can't drink on the floor. I mean, that's you know that's not the case in New York City, right? And a lot of other states. You mean by law um, you can't. No, 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 no. Uh, uh, Off-permit Section 15 license here is a bottle shop concept only. No food, no draft in the store, no growlers. So it's a single bottle shop concept. It's a, it's a package store. Um, Are you I able did, to do uh, tastings? Yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah, we can taste anytime. No, no, no cap on that. There's some crazy stuff around the, around the U.S. I mean, we've got stores in the States that can't even do tastings. It's like the craziest thing I ever heard of. I know Boston. I mean, in New York, you can buy beer in, in grocery stores. Every restaurant, any, anyone with a beer license in New York can sell beer to go. Can do growlers. So New York is, is a little different. Correct. My, my yeah. take on Massachusetts is that is that you have to go into a package store, and it's. I mean, can you buy beer in grocery stores here? 
some in a limited number and yeah. there's a there's a cap on the number of licenses per, per store chain so if you're a cappies or if you're a you're a local grocery chain if you're a shaw's or a whole foods or now wegman's we have here they have i think it's a limited for three at the moment or yeah, four somewhere. and then it's supposed to double to six within the next couple of years but it's still still fairly limited so you're going to package stores which is unusual for most of the rest of the country yeah, yeah. small yeah. businessman though mm-hmm. you know it does increase the number of small businesses rather than just have uh, Costco take over all the beer in the state. You yeah. know? And, that's, where, and where do you go? I mean, I, I think it's, it's great. Every state has their own laws, and I'm, I'm all for it as long as you can get beer. Right. But, but for you, where do you go out for beer as well? There's a place called Lord Hobo in Cambridge. where I was have, waiting for somebody to mention that. Yeah, they'll have... Uh, we'll talk about their beer in a minute, too. The boom sauce. But uh, th- that's a great beer bar. It's a controversial dude. I've never met him, to be frank. But really? You've never met Daniel Lanigan? I don't believe I have. Uh, <laughs> He's been in New York a lot. I've I, met him a few times. Yeah, I go in there twice a week, but well, maybe yeah, maybe he pours my beers. I don't know. But I just go in there oh and just a regular Joe getting my beers, you know? And, uh, and I think he runs a great draft selection, and they're doing a promotion this week where every beer is $5 for the week between... Christmas, Christmas and New Year's, because I think the last week of the year, you're allowed to lower your prices for seven days, yeah. right? So yeah. for if you do for seven days, uh-huh. you can't have happy hour. You can't lower your prices just for a day. Happy week. Or ha- mm-hmm. But you can have yeah. happy week, right? For seven, for seven days, you can lower your prices. They've done that. And what I was super impressed by is we went in the first night of it, and we're expecting that, you know, maybe he'd call the selection a little bit, you know, which would be reasonable. <laughs> no, went in there, and there's like... There's the Cool Ship Allagash stuff on for five bucks. There's all sorts of stuff. They had main beer company, Peeper, that uh, my wife and I kicked that keg Saturday night. We went back in Sunday morning, and uh, the barkeep said, oh, I'm sorry, we're out of Peeper. We replaced it with lunch. I'm like, that's a classy move. You could yeah. hold that back four days until prices go back up, you know. So he's selling me a $12 beer for five. I thought that was classy. Yeah, and apparently what they're experiencing Despite over there... Despite what you hear about them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, they're in, what they've experienced over there, what I was talking to a guy today who was talking with the beer manager and said, uh, yeah, their, their sales have just gone through the roof, that their volume has just gone crazy. And so yeah, they're, start, yeah. they're starting to look at that. And what we don't really have here is are people trying to sell on volume like that? And I don't know if it's because the spaces are too small or what it is, but they're starting to see, as opposed to people coming in and having one or two beers, people are coming in and having three or four. And eventually, you're, you know, there are numbers that will eventually work I mean, out in your favor. This is the Walmart concept, right? This is drop your prices yep. and sell, 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 sell. And uh, I don't know if lunch should be $12, but uh, that oh, goes back to Andy. Oh. Well, that goes back at, to Andy's at, point, right? At, at I mean, Cambridge, it's like, dang, man. Yeah. At Cambridge I mean, Commons, lunch is, on a lunch standard, is a buck and I got you. I mean, maybe not when I was there. But. At, at Craft Beer Cellars, you're selling things like main bottles. You know, how, how do you price that? I mean, we're working on a standard. It's pretty industry standard, 35 to 40% markup. We don't deviate from it. Um, I mean, everybody knows that. So it's not nothing that we can squirm away from. Uh, we always kind of laugh and say, like, we don't make those decisions. We're the last man on the chain mm-hmm. here. It gets passed from the, you know, the brewery to the distributor, the distributor to retail. We get it. It's got whatever on it. We've got to do our thing. We've got to, we've yeah. got to pay rent. Speaking of real estate. Uh, it's pretty expensive around here, and if you're gonna if you're gonna be in a good place, you're gonna pay through the nose for it. I mean, forty, fifty, sixty bucks a square foot. I don't know what you're paying in New York City, Jimmy, but we're up we're up in the fifties over in Belmont. I don't know how to do those numbers. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, you, you gotta hire somebody to do that for you. Well, I'm, I'm maybe not as sophisticated as you think. But. Yeah, Dan Rossi or Aeronaut. So, Dan, um, what kind of license do you have? So, I know I know Massachusetts has different licenses for breweries and. 
beer bars. Sure. So what we have is a farmer brewer permit uh, at the base. That just allows us to brew, brew beer, and sell it to distributors. Uh, what Massachusetts and a lot of other states have done on top of that is given us the option to have a pouring license accessory. So that means that Somerville is signed off so we are actually allowed to pour full pours, what you're drinking now, of our beer on site without buying... Uh, we sure are. That's good. <laughs> and that's without... The important point is without getting a wine, beer, or full liquor license, which costs a million dollars, which we don't have. Yeah. So, um, so this is just your state license as a brewery? Yep, state license. You get local sign-off, and uh, it's just an additional kind of accessory permit on top of the brewing permit. So that, what's that that's allowed to, a lot of people to do in a lot of states is have breweries grow, have breweries grow fast because they're able to, you know, get that retail traffic to some percentage of their product. I would say, just, just break in here and say uh, they probably chose Somerville for a reason because the mayor in Somerville is a hot shit and yeah. he's young he's awesome. and he's smart and he's all about growing, you know, the city and mm-hmm. growing the economy and, and local local businesses. Totally. Yeah. Could yeah. you guys, like a question for you guys, yeah. could you exist without that permit? Uh, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sure a lot of breweries yeah. would tell you that. Too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unless you're no... Uh, packaging brewery that's out of the city right. somewhere, but but to make it work in this space with yep. the, how expensive it must—I mean, it's probably not cheap to be here, but it's you know that's that's a, it, it can't be you know overstated how important yep. that is, and it's not just here. Like you're saying, it's it's a you know that has probably been the single biggest mm-hmm. contributor to the doubling or an almost tripling of the number of breweries in this country yeah. is the is the on is the on-premise pour license because oh. now if you're doing 500 barrels and you don't have an interest in running a restaurant that is 60 percent of your of your business, you know, because it's that's not what a it's, lot of guys want to get. It's fun coming here, Andy. And I'm glad you told me to meet you because I don't, I haven't been to Boston in years. I've other than Mystic, which I've gets distributed in New York City, or yeah. Lord Hobo that I've heard of. I haven't really been to any breweries in in, New York, in, in Boston, you know. So I'm happy to be here and have mm-hmm. a nice pint. And, and by the way, Dan, what is the second beer we're drinking? Second beer we're drinking is called A Session with Dr. Nandu. It's kind of our session APA. One of our classic beers, uh, one of the first beers that we ever brewed a couple years ago. Um, just kind of nothing to do with Star Wars movie, right? No, no, no Star Wars. <laughs> we don't have any Star Wars beers. On I came opening day, yeah, yep. and I remember drinking this opening That's day. That. Well, and it's, it's actually been fun to sort of watch it. You know, <laughs> you might not remember, but it's actually quite a bit better than it was mm-hmm. on opening day. Um, yeah, well, I'm going to let you say that because I'm not going to be disrespectful <laughs> in your house. But yeah, no, it's going great. No, yeah, we're always tweaking it's, all of our beers just a little bit. Yeah, people don't no, notice week over week. Great. Um, what is, yeah, what's the name? I, I've been in, coming in here for a year and a half drinking this beer, and I have no idea what the story is behind the name. So, uh, yeah. not to take over the podcast. It's not Star, it's not Star no. Wars. Not Star Wars. Also, crap. not Star Wars. Um, uh, behind the name. Well, so um, my buddy Ben, who isn't here at the moment, another founder of ours, uh, has a friend uh, whose name is Hari Nandu, and he's a doctor. And um, he kind of, I guess the story is we're coming up with brewery names. Probably one of the hardest things we ever did was come up with the name and this friend of ours helped us come up with a lot of a lot of names not the name we actually went with but a lot of like really raunchy just funny names we just stay up all night and draw like weird illustrations and drink beer drink mm-hmm. drink a lot and um so the idea was just kind of a naming session with him and we thought of like uh kind of an old like creepy doctor in some of the illustrations we were uh we were thinking of for it but yeah it's just a dude who helped us along mm-hmm. the way, basically. So do you guys have graphics for this? Because I know uh, we no. just we just sold some of your uh, 
Some Lydia's. The Lydia. Yeah. We don't have any final graphics. Uh, we haven't done any like retail packaging for this yet, okay. but it's something that we are working on. Um, it's one of our beers. So that's cool. So you're, you're a farm brewery license. You 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 make beer. People come here and get you know beer in, on the tap. Or beer. Whatever. That's it. But you're also selling like what bottles or cans to cans. beer shops. Yeah, we've gone with some mobile canning. Um, uh, folks that we know, Ironheart, they're really awesome. So they basically drive around to breweries all around the Northeast every day. They go to different breweries, set up their canning line, can a thousand beers an hour, and leave three hours later for us. Um, so that's great. So for, for you guys, I know you guys have a real specialty list of, of bottles that you're selling. But for you guys, what is the scene like in Boston besides craft beer sellers? Can you walk into a, a grocery store or a package store and, and get a, a pretty good selection of local beers? Or is it mostly like you're dealing with, you know, more national brands? Well, I would first tell you go and if you're coming to Boston or if you live here, you got to go to CBC, you got to go to Craft Beer Cellar, and you got to go because that's that's the mothership, as we say here, and they they do a fantastic job. And if you want to learn about beer or be hand sold beer, if you have questions, there's probably there's not a lot of places in this city, you know, there's very few where you can get that sort of level of service. To give uh, to give some props to my to my girls. Uh, Kate and Suzanne, they run a they run a tight ship, but uh, beyond that, I'll, t- yeah. I'll pay you for that later. Yeah, that's fine. Well, I'm expecting. <laughs> I'll it. pay yeah. you in beer. Yeah, so I stop by, I get my Prima pills uh, from them, so that's good. But they, you know, try and go in else, elsewhere. We don't. I grew up in Chicago. Like I said we get all of our beer in grocery stores for the most part. Uh, there are some small package stores there as well, but they were really underdeveloped um, here. Unless you're in a Whole Foods, or I guess Wegmans has a slightly decent supply, though I was in there the other day and I was not really particularly impressed with it. Um, we don't really go to grocery stores for that. We don't really go to Costco for that. It's really these mom-and-pop small package stores, and sometimes these not really mom-and-pop family ones. They're called family, like Cappies. They're sort of these bigger chains. Um, and they do a reasonably good job. I think they could probably do a lot better job because they are, they are still running a ton of, of AB and Miller and Coors products out of it. They don't really have that focus. They might have a massive selection of craft beer because they've heard it's popular, but you look at the dates on it, and that stuff died on the shelf six, eight, ten months ago. Um, uh, I think as close as you can get is you go out to Julio's in Westboro, which is you know the half an hour, 45, mi- 45 minutes uh, west of here, um, and you can go there. But otherwise, in town, it's a lot of you know, especially as the craft beer seller, sorry, as Kate and Suzanne sort of Johnny Appleseed this area with uh, with with you know with great beer stores in in Fort Point, which is an upcoming neighborhood, in Fenway and other places. That's really where I think people are going to shop if they're looking for for great beer off-premise if they're looking for it to take home. And, and they can start going to breweries now and, and, and take that beer home as well. And we're starting to see uh, that happen more. We are about maybe 10 years behind, as, as advanced as you think Boston is, we're probably 10 years behind the curve when it comes to any sort of trend in craft beer. Uh, it, it doesn't I've really make that, a lot of... they say that Boston's 10 years behind New York, but maybe that's just for fashion, but yeah. I'm actually dressed just like you guys. I got, <laughs> I got a, a sweater over a shirt with some corduroy. That's, that's, that's a Boston style. I think it's the way I dressed in the 1980s, so we're all on the same page here. But in terms of, yeah, in terms of uh, developments, like we just haven't had a lot of new breweries. We haven't had a lot of new bars. We, you know, it's expensive to do it here, and, and the places that have been operating here, the big names, have been in business often for five, ten years or more. You look at a place like the Public House, and that's that is a world classic beer bar, and that place might be ten or twelve years old at this point. Like 
we don't have a lot of turnover. We don't have a lot of new blood, which is why it's exciting to see things like Aeronaut. And, you know, we're seeing some other places like Lamplighter and some other places in Cambridge. Everett has been huge with Night Shift and, uh, and Idle Hands, which, will, which is a great local brewery that had some problems with the, their, their space, but they're going to be opening new. And Trillium just opened a new place. But a lot of places are opening kind of further outside of that Boston-Cambridge-Somerville area because it's just too expensive and we just don't have vacant buildings like they do you, I'm, I'm excited to be here I'm hanging out in Boston all night I'm, I might hit Slum Brew Cambridge Brewing Mystic and I don't know if Trillium is it open or not uh, I don't know if Trillium's maybe. open you don't want to stand out in the rain and in the cold like that's mm-hmm. it's you know that's well, we got aeronauts <laughs> and uh, maybe I'll, I'll buy some bottles at craft beer cellars before I, I go, go back to New York but hey we'll take a short break we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio here's another one from Zuli called Better All the Time again the the band is named Zuli, and this is Beer Sessions. Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's our special Boston show. It's winter 2016. We're at Aeronaut Brewing Company in Somerville, Massachusetts. And I've had some really good beers. Uh, Dan Rossi, tell us again the two beers that we had already. Uh, we started with the Cocoa Sutra, it's called, which is basically um, a chocolate milk stout that we made with cocoa nibs from the chocolate factory that's right behind you. Um, they just... So what is this? Is boss is definitely different than New York City and other cities. What's going on here? It's like a collective. There's a dude making chocolate um, next to the brewery. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Uh, so Andy, you brought me here. Yeah, no, it's, it's been a, it's been a fascinating space from day one. So Dan can tell it's, the story. It's weird. So we basically uh, rented this big industrial space. We're like, oh shit, what are we going to do with all the space? We don't have enough, you know, brew stuff to fit it all in. Um, so we had kind of met a few different people who are interested in food and beverage startups, different you know small manufacturing folks, people who roast coffee, people who like distribute uh, food, kind of like farmers market food. So um, we figured it'd be pretty cool to kind of start a space where you can't only just get beer where it's made, you can buy chocolate where it's made, you can get coffee and 
pick up your groceries and so that's something like, that's oh, that's just very cool about the Boston scene then or is it more that some of it I don't know I mean we, we don't know a lot of places uh, it's very community based and Somerville's been a great home for it um, we don't know of many places that are sort of like this but we kind of took inspiration from places that are further away um, that we found that I think in the last decade in, in Boston we've seen something you know kind of the model called the community kitchen Sure. You know where where people are sharing a cooking space, but I think props to these guys for actually ending up with a space too big, and they're like, "Oh shit, we got rent to pay, and like we got to figure <laughs> this right. out because like we're taking like you know one eighth of it." And I think they took that and probably set it alongside this community kitchen model where they can bring in you know, a baker. That's I mean, what's that space over there? Like 150 square feet? Oh yeah, tiny. Uh, but that you know, they're getting some space. They're they're able to come in, work their own hours, uh, make some chocolate, get it, get it into the Somerville and Cambridge community. I mean, we got a coffee roaster down here, right? Yeah, it's a nice machine. That's right. Um, food trucks come in here, right? On the yeah. weekend, that's a big yeah, thing, right? Is that big in New York? Yeah, yeah, it's still so big. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I want to open a I want to open a mobile you know oh, craft yeah. beer. That's illegal, by the way. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to happen. Yeah, craft beer. Not, not just like one of those, do, 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 one of those do, do, bikes do. where everyone goes around. With I'm okay with that, too. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to pedal around. Yeah. Uh, All right, two things. So cool it's, it's Jimmy's Night in Boston. So where are we going to go next? We, we're here at Aeronauts. This is a great place. Guys, you just tell me where we're going to go next, something different. There's, well, that's, a good, that's a good question. It sort of depends on, on what you're into. We tend to have a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of, you know, sort of sameness going on for the last few years, but I think recently we're starting to see things branch out and get a little bit more interesting. We went through this real bistro. Wait, so I'm, this, I'm hungry and I want some really good beer. Okay, we went we went through this bistro phase for a long time, where every place basically looked like this great bar, Eastern Standard, which is in uh, uh, Kenmore Square, and so everything was like a baby bistro, baby Eastern Standard, gastropub. Yeah, the gastropub. <laughs> oh, thing. We were huge into those for a while. Now I think we're finally coming out of that and we're starting to see some more interesting stuff. So, you know, we have a lot of great old classic beer bars in this city. We have the Public House. Yeah, we have, uh, you know, places like Lord Hobo, uh, Mead Hall, old school like Red Bones. But I think if you're looking for a pretty decent meal and a place that, you know, does beer right and is run by you know, just really great folks, and a lot of those, you know, the places I just named are, are those. But the one I would take you to is I would go to Deep Ellum. Uh, it's run by a guy named Max and his partners, and they just do they do great food, great beer. It's no. It's in a special neighborhood. What's that called? That's 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 Alston. Alston, okay. yeah. So it's Alston. So it's uh, it's sort of a more of a collegiate neighborhood. Uh, I think I got lost in Alston coming or some of them. Yeah, that's it's inevitably possible over there. It's a lot of small streets, but uh, I've had people come to me in New York City and say, you know, when you're going to Boston for beer, you have to go to Alston. Is that the case? Is, are there more than one or two beer bars? There? I would probably say you're probably going to Deep Ellum if you're there. They, otherwise, we had an, there's another old school beer bar that you know we will that you know people will be able to Google and figure out. I don't need to name names, but like had 117 taps, and if you went in there and you would order a, a something like a really nice Pilsner beer, you'd take it to your nose, and immediately you would smell raspberries, and you'd put it down, and you'd ask them. Let me guess, did you guys have Lindemann's Raspberry uh, Frambois on tap before this? How did you know? Are you a magician? No, I'm not a magician. You guys never clean your lines. So you have a lot of really bad beer. So there's there's some old school stuff in Alston that's sort of never changed. But you go to a place like Deep Ellum. It's a place that cleans its lines constantly. Max knows his stuff. Makes you know, It's great German beer, very good prices, good food. And in the you know, non-wintry months, has a beautiful outdoor patio. It just has a good vibe. So that's a, that would be a place that I would, I would certainly suggest. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, 
has the right amount of taps. He's got uh, he's got yep. twelve or eighteen taps, and maybe even he's right at twelve, something like that. And uh, these old school cats that were trying to do one hundred and twenty taps, like that's not possible, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I came from the restaurant. No, place. that's Wait, dated. Just no, that's, <laughs> that's dated. And my favorite place in New York City is Spite and Dival in Brooklyn has oh, six yeah. six taps. <laughs> and my place, Jimmy's number forty three, has twelve. And I'm telling you honestly, to keep up twelve good lines and rotating, that's all I can handle. Yeah. So, yeah. But no, it's, I, it's, I, I, I like hearing about it. But for you, Suzanne, let's just jump in deeper. So one thing is we know that you've, you've uh, been training and have taken the master's testosterone exam. I just want to point out just how deep the talent is in Boston because there's people like you who are not only con- trying to become a master's testosterone, you've been developed a whole new concept of the beer store category. You know, and, and you get Andy, who's, who's who's a writer that nobody knows except for me. <laughs> and you got Will Gordon, who's writing crazy stuff every day. Boston's Making a pretty fun good, of Cantillon. But Boston's yeah. a pretty good beer town, right? Yeah, I mean, it is. Uh, of course. I mean, I've been here since uh, 1996. I've been here now longer than I've been anywhere. Uh, people ask me all the time where I'm from, Mars, just in case anybody's, you know, mm-hmm. writing that stuff down. Um, I, I think we've, you know, we've got some good stuff going on here. I mean, there's arguments about... You know, some of the old blue laws and stuff like that and pricing. I mean, we, we can talk about pricing all day long. I mean, we don't have uh, the good fortune like New York to have uh, that happy hour pricing. But we, Let's say, so definitely what got are some blue laws? Blue laws are thing like in the old days, you couldn't have a store open on a Sunday, right? Yeah, yeah. You couldn't yeah, sell beer stuff, on like, Christmas. So. Right. We have three days a year, one of which is Memorial Day, which makes no sense to anyone. I still, you know, kind of think about that. I can't figure out what, what's going on there. It's because, uh, you know, on Memorial Day, people drink beer, and that's dangerous. So we can't be open. And like election days, of course, you wouldn't want. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. And there are certain days we can't deliver beer, right, if we're making deliveries, because it's not safe. I don't know. Uh, it's not safe to make deliveries on Sunday. But those sure. are blue laws. So just people that don't know about Massachusetts. But otherwise, it's, it's a good place to, to do business. And it's a good place. I mean, one of the things that I, I like a lot is there is a lot of education coming out of uh, the Boston area. I think there's a lot of people that are very serious. Uh, we respect a lot in the city. Uh, Eastern Standard, as Andy mentioned, that's, uh, that's a, a group, a small group. They've, they've got, uh, I guess, four places now. They've got uh, Eastern Standard, the Hawthorne. Row 34 is a place I go a lot. They've got uh, probably about 20 beers on tap. What I love about what they do down there is they're smart. They know what they're doing. If they're serving a crazy Keller beer from Germany, they know what's going on with that beer, and they know proper temperature and proper glassware, et cetera, et cetera. And they just opened a new restaurant, which is on our side of the river in Watertown called Branch Line, which I've uh, learned to, to favor a little bit. they got a nice beer list over there. Once again, smart people, bar manager, beer buyer, know what they're doing over there so that's that's kind of where i'm going i mean i'm in somerville right now so if i'm if i'm going anywhere right now i guess you know maybe i'm headed down to we got a cidery in somerville that's kind of mm-hmm. cool i mean i'm still trying to lo- learn to love it's a great cider. it's an amazing space it's uh, it is yeah it's beautiful. It's beautiful. which, yeah, it which is. one is that it's called phantom yeah Bantam. And I think they just la- launched in New York City. So you'll we've see seen some, we've seen Downies, we've seen Bantam. Yeah. Yeah. And so, well, let's go to you. So, in some of your writings, you've talked about things like, you started talking about freshness, and, and Andy was mentioning clean lines. To me, or, or to a Cicerone person, freshness and clean lines seem so important. But I think for the average consumer, when I walk into a bar in most places, sometimes you have no idea if they clean their lines until you taste it, and you have no idea how fresh fresh the beer. So, I know you've written about this a little bit. Why don't you weigh in? There's my favorite beer bar in Cambridge. 
is Lord Hobart. As I mentioned, they have 42 lines. I went in there once recently, there are 21 IPAs. I love you, Lord Hobart. You cannot keep 21 IPAs fresh out of, out of, you know, in the bar at the same time. So they do their due diligence. They clean everything as much as they can. They do everything right. It just sits. So I think the biggest one. I would like to see a reduced number of top lines in every bar. What, how many of you guys have to? I was in there recently. As I said, I'm very happy with 12 lines. 12. That's about right. You know? So, you're probably thrilled that I endorsed you. No, I mean, there, there might be one style that we missed. Honestly, we are able to, to, to rotate everything. And the thing about I don't think anyone really talks about freshness, and there's not really a way to know if you have clean lines or not. And those are two things that I feel like if you're really doing a top-notch beer bar, then you have to address that. But... You know, I don't think every community is ready for that, but they should be. And my biggest disappointment is when I walk into a place and I order a beer, and it, and it doesn't taste good. Mm-hmm. And that happens in more places than you think. Mm-hmm. But I wonder how the average person is, is experienced that, because I still feel that craft beer is, is a niche market. That's the thing with what you guys are. That's why no one knows who, who Andy Crouch is. But maybe more people are going to meet, you know, craft beer sellers because you're going to be in other states. But, you know, how does anybody know what craft beer is if they go into a place and maybe it's, it, the lines aren't clean, you know, mm-hmm. or they're having beer that's not fresh, or they're only dealing with, uh, you know, kind of non-indie, you know, whatever, major mm-hmm. the other, I know you guys are talking about yeah, this. But. The, other, the other problem is if you go to, an, and, and we have, you know, 42, 4,300 craft breweries in this country right now. We have probably another 1,700 or so in planning. I mean, that's we have had more crapperies in this country than any time since or before, I think, Prohibition. It's a huge, massive number. And a lot of that are small places that are doing their stuff in-house. Um, the beer doesn't travel anywhere. And so the concerns about freshness are probably a little less so in those kind of places. They're going to know day-to-day what their beer tastes like. It, do, it doesn't, you know, the brewer's saddest moment is the second that that beer leaves their tanks and, and, leaves, the, uh, and leaves the establishment because it, it is... You know, subject to all kinds of hell, uh, temperature, and and being kicked around, and and just you know all sorts of things. But in terms of really understanding freshness, it's about you know knowing your publican, knowing you know knowing who you're buying beer from, knowing the places you go to. But once that beer travels from you know further from home, you know we have a lot of breweries that it's not just freshness, it's not just the local publican, it's not doing a good job. But a lot of places aren't really making great beer. You know, there's a lot of places. You know, a lot of people have gotten in this business now, just like happened 20 years ago uh, in 90 in 95. You've got a lot of lawyers, you got a lot of accountants, you got a lot of doctors, you got a lot of you know a lot of people yeah who just come into it who don't Wall Street yeah. <laughs> who don't know anything about beer and just think that it's a, you know, wow, we're looking at 10, 15, 20% returns out of breweries uh, or places that are doing 50% a year. Uh, or when they take a look at a billion dollar ballast point deal and, and they think it's the next you know, way to get big and they rush beer out the door. They don't take the time with it. They don't hire somebody who knows what they're doing. And so we get a lot of crappy beer so that you can lose new. I don't think craft beer is niche anymore. I think it's, I think it's pretty, it's getting big just in terms of volume, in terms of cash dollars. It's a, big, big business. It employs hundreds of thousands of people across this country. And I think, you know, even people's grandparents now have had it. We have a new generation of drinkers who have grown up thinking that Sam Adams isn't like, is their grandpa's beer or their dad's beer. They've never lived a day that Sierra Nevada wasn't on tap everywhere that they went. That was very different than the days you grew up where you had three lines and it was varying types of light beer. Let's talk, so Dan Ross, we're here at Aeronaut Brewing Company, Somerville, Mass. And uh, what's it like for you? I mean, you guys, you you have a tap room that's open, and every day you're interacting with customers. What are they saying about your beers? 
and I this mean, experience? It's It's been pretty great interacting with the community. I mean, we're the first brewery in Somerville in, I don't know, 100-something years, and we've kind of turned it into a community space. So it's been cool to have just local people come in and... Uh, that's their new place. They don't. They drink beers from far away, and uh, you know, it, it's cool to have something that you can you can look at the, the brewing tanks that it came out of, and uh, people are just very into that. We have so many students and and young people in Somerville that um, it, we've just got a really awesome response. Really, it's getting really lively crazy now. Is it Tuesdays? Your trivia night here? Oh yeah, Carolina? trivia night. It's coming up an hour or so uh, it's going to be packed in here and we just have an awesome community you know it's when you when you hear this it'll be 2016 but what are some things that will be happening here in 2016 Dan as we get ready to wrap up the show what's that what are some things that will happen here in 2016 as we get ready to wrap up oh we're, we're just ramping up ramping up production uh, we'll, you know we may double in the next year or so and uh, just working on distribution working on crazy new beers all the time and just, just trying to and have what's, fun. What's the next beer we're going to have when we get off there? Uh, I was trying to drink the Saison, but Holly's telling me that we've actually kicked it, which seems impossible to me, but it's not. Uh, we should drink the King Louie, I think. It's a double IPA. I say, Mom, I'm, I'm all doing, working with small beers and small breweries. I'm always happy to kick a line and put something else. So. <laughs> That's and, the idea. Suzanne, for you, what's happening in 2016 with Craft Beer Cellars? Education, man. I mean, we're our trinity is uh, great beer, uh, hospitality, and education. And I think we were chatting a little bit before we started here. We've got 16 or 17 certified cisterns across the footprint at the helm of a lot of our stores. We've got three people going in February and March for the advanced cisterns, and I'm going up uh, in April for the master my second time and my last time because I'm going to go on and knock it down this time uh, take care of it and hopefully be one of the first master cisterns on the east coast and you, you guys have your own educational program don't you we do we've been tinkering around a little bit I mean I don't know how serious it is it's beer, serious it's but I don't know beer how beer smart academy it's I was so smart impressed academy. when I read that uh, you have your own damn beer school in there man I mean we, we tweet your own damn you know, beer school yeah we got beer school uh, you know we have a lot of fun we have a lot of fun we, we open it up to the public uh, most everything is free uh, people coming in doing we're doing blind tastings all the time. I mean, really at the at the end of it, it's uh, a way for us to keep our hands on beer all the time and keep you know just keep trying stuff and keep working on the educational piece. I mean, we want to keep our stores up at the top of their game in terms of you know, like Andy said. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of crazy beer out there that's not great, you know. And how can we know that? We can't know that unless we're trying the beer and we know. Uh, that you know, just because it's local doesn't mean it's fantastic. Well, you, you guys are great. I'm looking forward to going out with you guys tonight afterwards. Andy, your top beer story for 2016 that you might be writing about? To that, well, I'm probably not going to tell you about it because that, <laughs> that's not really how that works. You know, I started last year off with a bang with uh, stories about Sam Adams, and you know, we moved through the year and had stories about pretty things and other things happening. But in terms of you know what I'm looking forward to, 2016 is doing a lot more traveling. You know, 2015 I ended up staying relatively local. Did you know I went to Oktoberfest for the first time, so that was not particularly <laughs> local. But uh, I'm looking to sort of get back in touch with craft beer. I, you know, I'd gone to the uh, Great American Beer Festival in Denver every year since turning. 21, uh, so it was a number of years, and I've missed it the last two years, so I look forward to getting back at that, but we've got, uh, you know, we've got the World Beer Cup and the uh, Craft Brewers Conference in Philly in a couple months here, and I'm just looking forward to going around this country to some unusual beer fest and unusual beer events. Be so Craft Beer Conference in Philly, I'll be there, yep. for sure. <laughs> and then, Will, for you, you, you made some uh, wishes for 2016. Mm-hmm. Want to tell us a couple of those? 
Well, I think in 2016, we should all learn a little bit more about beer, drink much more beer, and then when we're done learning and drinking much more beer, drink much more beer. That's what I like. But you're also, you're into blind tastings, too. I know. Suzanne mentioned it. Yep. I think people should do more blind tastings. Yeah, I think that's a great idea, uh, is to just... Have anyone, anyone in your life, the guy who lives downstairs, the guy who sits out on your stoop, hand him two cans of the similar beer and just have him pour them into two different, like, washed-out jugs, you know, and just drink them side by side. And doesn't, I'm not into the gamification of beer, per se. It doesn't, everything isn't a contest, but just, it's a great way to calibrate, calibrate what you like and just to see. And so, so to get your preconceived notions out of the way and just drink two of the same style beer blind, you might be surprised. You should come to our tastings. We do way more than two. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, everybody. Dan Rossi and Aaron Oss, thanks for those. Uh, Su- Hope Suzanne from Craft Beer Cellars. Andy Crouch is getting loud here. And uh, Will Gordon, thanks so much for joining me on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll catch you sometime soon on uh, Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.